I want to talk today about spiritual enlightenment. And what's interesting to me about it is that it's a uh, curiosity to many. And many that are um, very religious, they might immediately have an interest in it, but also suspect that anyone who talks about it might immediately try to lead them to sin. And so the way I have to do this, unfortunately, will take a, a moment. I want to address every religion really quickly, and then I want to talk about spiritual enlightenment and everything beyond that. So in every religion, there were always imposters. This might be true in science or in any field of work. At work, there might be a man that comes in. He's lazy, but he wants to get paid more than everyone else. And a man that works hard and keeps his head down, he might get lower pay for a while, and we might hope that he gets paid more because he might be a really hard worker. So it might be an imposter that comes that pretends to be a hardworking carpenter or something and wants more pay and demands it. There might be imposters that come into religion and claim that they're an expert in religion and they might demand your money. They might want to touch your children and they might demand that you respect them and give you, and they want you to give them uh, things that belong to you. And they're imposters. They're not really part of that religion. In Christianity, there's false Christs. In Islam, there's false Mahdi's. In Hinduism, there's false gurus. In Buddhism, there's false spiritual teachers. In every facet of our lives, there's someone that's, there might be someone who comes along that's false. There might be. So when we talk about uh, meditation, most people's concern is whether it's authentic and real. And so what I'm going to tell you today in this podcast are things that you can find for yourself. And uh, I'll try to tell you where you can find the knowledge. Long ago, um, I first lived, and um, I've, I want to tell you about how we can learn spiritual meditation. God made everything, including spiritual meditation. And normally what we do during a spiritual meditation is different from religion to religion, belief to belief. So I'm going to share with you my knowledge, and I'll first tell you where it came from. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, and on the second day, he made the angels, and he made me. And I lived among them as one of the sons of God in heaven, and I've lived in the earth many lifetimes. And to you, you might think this is a suspicious belief or uh, imagination. And with other men and women, this might be correct because many of us do want to imagine that there's something meaningful and important and fun and interesting in our lives. We think about how fun it would be to live maybe live as a ghost in heaven and then come to the earth and live again. And so in the Bible, we call that being born again. In other religions, they have different words, rebirth, reincarnation. But there are very few that do it. And so for anyone that's religious, you can always find reassurance that this is not heresy, no matter your religion, by looking in the New Testament of the Bible, where they talk about being born again. And those verses uh, uh, to help we, can, we might live our whole life, die, and we go to heaven. We can come back to the earth and be born again the same way we were born the first time. We come out of a woman's belly. And of course, there are other ways to be born again according to the Bible, but I'm not going to talk about those, of the spirit and all those things. Those are future mysteries. So after I lived thousands of years, I was a ghost in heaven again, and I said to God, I'd like to grow in knowledge and wisdom in the way that you've taught me. 
since the first day that I lived. And he told me how to do it. And it took me a long time. And I did everything he said. And I did it in heaven as a, you might say, a ghost, as a spirit, as a dead man, you might say. I lived as a ghost. So I didn't have my body in the earth anymore. I, just, I was in heaven as a ghost. I did all of that. When I was done, I had some questions. And then I said, how may I continue to do this? Should I do the same thing again? Should I be in heaven? And what he said is, that I can grow in knowledge and wisdom through the word of God. And I'd already done everything that he told me to do regarding that. And then I said, how else may I do it? Should I do that again or something different? And then he said, I could grow in knowledge and wisdom through experience. And I said, how? And he said, I could go be born again on another world. And then when I'm done, I could come back and he would tell me what to do after that. So I did this and I went to this other world and it's a place where they practiced spiritual meditation. So I did it and I failed. I didn't succeed at what he told me to do. And after a short life, I didn't die. I saw the light of God and he brought me back to heaven. And he sent me to another world and then a third. And at the third world, I succeeded. And then he brought me to a fourth world and that's where I finished doing all of it. So I grew in knowledge and wisdom in the way God uh, commanded, you might say, or instructed me. And then once I obeyed God and did all of that, I said I grew in knowledge and wisdom through obeying God. But on this other world, um, again, I lived a short life and now I'm here in the earth. And I'm 42 years old now, and this is one of the longest lives I've ever lived. Typically, God takes me uh, after a while when my work is done, and then I go and I'm born again, and I do small tasks here and there in different places in the earth. And so I've been born again often, and so the spiritual side of things has been really fun for me because to be a spirit, to be spiritual is actually really simple for me. When we die, we're now a spirit. And so when you die, you're standing next to your body, you're a spirit. And when you're spiritually enlightened, you can keep your spiritual enlightenment. You can. But also if you live your whole life and then go to heaven, you can learn from God how to do spiritual meditation the way he made it. And if you do that, you'll never do it wrong and it'll never be a sin. So I'm someone that can tell you what it's like from heaven. One day God might teach you whether it's in the earth or in heaven. Everything I'm about to tell you. But the story's important to me. And it's important to me because it's important for all of us to hear from time to time that when we die, we can still continue to live as a ghost. And then if we want to be in the earth or on any other world, we can be born again the same way we were born before. So for me, it's not really a Bible saying. It can be. But today I'm talking about the practical way. We're born. We're a baby. We grow up. We live our full life. We're married. We have kids. Grow old. We die. And then we can do it again. By, by living in heaven and then God puts us in an, the womb of our mother, our next mother, and we're born in another life. We're born again. We have a new physical body then. So when we do this, we can, um, when we're born again, meditate again. And what happens is if you, if you meditate and you become very advanced spiritually, when you die, you're still spiritually advanced. You get to keep it. But when you're born again, your flesh is brand new. So the, you, start the, you restart the whole meditation process. And each life when you do this, it can go faster, it can go better, but it's still spiritual meditation and we still have to do it with our flesh because like our body's brand new. So it's better to wait until we're a little older. I'd like to wait at least until we're 10 years old and then we can do a lot more when we're about 20 years old, fully grown. So 
to be spiritual is interesting because we are a spiritual being inhabiting a physical body and that's how god made us we're a spirit we have a soul and then when our body dies our, our physical body dies then we can receive salvation and live in heaven maybe forever and then we might be born again also and that's great no matter what your religion is when you die and you get to heaven you see god and you always have a chance for salvation no matter who you are no matter who your religion your who no matter your religion and in my experience it doesn't matter what your religion is you all have an equal advantage an equal opportunity if you're if you're willing to love god and repent of your sins and things like that you you're probably going to get um salvation as soon as you die so so we're a spirit so it's interesting because when we talk about spiritual things the first thing we want to talk about is that we are a spirit inside of a physical body so when you do spiritual meditation eventually one thing you can notice is if you just pay attention to your flesh your body your feet or your hands if you're doing it the way the world teaches you they tell you you need to get a result right away and that's not true You start to just pay attention to what God gave you. A heart, legs and arms. And when we do this, we start to have spiritual meditation. And we want to do it through our whole body. If you're from the Hindu school of thought, the Hindu method might be to activate chakras. With Buddhists, it's peaceful nonviolence and things like that. So what we do if we want to find the best way is we find out what God made and then we and when we look at that, we realize it's going to go perfect if we do it in a way that's, um, we just think about what God gave us. So God gave us hands and feet, arms and legs, a belly and a chest, a neck and a head. Women have breasts and men don't. We all have a butt. So what we do is we just pay attention to our body. And it's hard at first. And the reason I have found that it's hard is because we have intrinsic conflict in our spirit. Every day that we live, someone might be rude to us violent or threatening, mean and cruel, insulting. And at the end of our day, if we're a, a peaceful, nonviolent person, then we might feel very angry about it, but we refuse to be violent. If we're a cruel and violent person, we might go and hit them instead and probably won't meditate. So anyone that's interested in meditation is probably more of a nonviolent person. So you have an advantage in meditation. But when we start to meditate and pay attention to our whole body, we're paying attention to our flesh, but also our spirit and our soul. We're paying attention to all three, our physical body, our spirit, and our soul. And this doesn't take effort. When you get really skilled at it, you, you start to notice which is which, but it's not really a priority until you've gone beyond spiritual and, um, enlightenment. It isn't until after that. And so I'll talk about what all of that is as I go through this podcast. But when you pay attention to your body, what you'll notice is you have intrinsic conflict. Every time you've insulted someone or offended them on purpose, when you've sinned, you might feel that in your heart, a need to repent. What you, when someone else offends you, you might be angry. And so what you notice right away in meditation is all of these things. And what, what we normally try to do is we try to fix it mechanically, as if there's something wrong with our mechanics. But there isn't. There's nothing wrong with our spirit or our soul mechanically, you might say. And that's not really correct or incorrect. I'd rather say, it's not really correct. I'd rather say what we need to do is first deal with nonviolence. A peaceful, nonviolent person can also be a strong warrior. And here's how it works. 
if you're nonviolent, someone, a man might threaten you and you might say, you might speak a wise word and then they might calm down and they might repent of wanting to hit you. That's a, a religious way to say it. But another way to say it is they might be cool. And then now it's the whole, the whole situation is de-escalated. So if you're really um, nonviolent, you might learn to speak a wise word and that person might calm down sometimes, but not every time. And then if they try to murder you, you can also be a warrior and you can draw a sword and you can parry and block. And eventually you might thrust them through. Or if you know other martial arts, you might take them to the ground and wrestle them. Or if you're a fast runner, you might run away. But you can still be a warrior and peaceful. If you're standing between your wife and children or between uh, if there's a bad man there, maybe other men, you might stand between them all and calm, try to calm him down. But if he won't calm down, he wants to murder everyone. Then if you're a strong warrior, you might lay your hands on him and he might die. Sometimes men do need to die if they're a murderer or a rapist. We stop them before they do it if we can. Or if we catch a man in the act of murdering and raping, we might kill him right there. Now the world doesn't approve of this, but the truth is if we're a peaceful warrior, we might use violence to stop rape and murder, but be peaceful for much of the other time. And so that's how we kind of deal with that conflict of peaceful nonviolence. And the reality that other men murder, even if we don't. Other men rape, even if we don't. Now, moving past that, we, we forgive everyone that's ever offended us. And we apologize to everyone that we've ever offended, insulted, hurt, harmed, wronged. And we try to make it right. And also, it's difficult to progress in meditation if you've sinned. It's really important that you pray, kneel, and repent. All of those things at the same time. And then you can progress a lot more in meditation. It's very difficult to progress in meditation if you haven't repented of all of your sins. So when you start meditation, they often teach paying attention to your feet and your hands, and that makes really clear sense. But also you can pay attention to your heart. And if in your heart you need to repent of a sin, the meditation will go much faster and the years you spend meditating will be much more successful. And also, if you just pray every day before you meditate for about five minutes, I really recommend 20. The meditation will be greatly enhanced if you're doing a long meditation. If you're doing a short meditation, that's 10 minutes, you'll have better results if you pray to God five minutes and meditate five minutes. You'll have better results. And if you're meditating two hours, then you'll have better results if you pray for at least 20 minutes. About 20 minutes would be, I'd recommend, maybe 25 or 30 but maybe 20, and you'd have much enhanced results in your meditation, especially if you've repented of your sins. And then much of your meditation might be, again, that intrinsic conflict in our spirit. And we can find it. We feel aggravated, angry, offended. And the more we forgive others, when we can forgive them, the more peace we have. And so a big part of peaceful meditation is forgiving others. And also we might find that we've offended others and we might go to them later, days, weeks, or months later, or years, and say to them, I'm sorry for what I did. We could write it down. And even just the act of writing it down might help you in your meditation by a lot. In fact, if you, if you during your meditation are really angry and you go through the whole process of telling someone in your imagination what they did that offended you, why it was wrong, why they shouldn't have done it, you'll find you, your meditation is, moves forward sometimes from that a lot.
But if it's your first time doing all of that, you might spend the first 10 days of your meditation in a row doing that, and then you'll, you might suddenly move forward. So this is um, something really important. I don't know if you want to call it a hindrance, but it's very important. If we have conflict in our spirit, it's very difficult to progress with our spiritual meditation. And if we don't progress, it's difficult to advance. So those are some of the things that I would start with. And there are things that aren't commonly taught. After that, in our meditation, the first thing I would do after I prayed um, is I would notice if there's any conflict, if I'm angry, if I'm sad, and then I would face those feelings right away. Once you face all your feelings, you start to feel pure and clean if you've done well. If you've repented of all your sins, forgiven everyone that ever hurt you, harmed you, or wronged you, when you can, forgive them. And if you've apologized to everyone you've ever offended, hurt, harmed, wronged, and if you've tried to make it right, if you've done all those things, you might start to feel really peaceful, calm, pure, and clean. And so one way to do this, I know it, for some of us it might be difficult to hear, is to start earlier in our life, before we've had these difficult times. If we're older, we need to accept the fact that if we're 50 years old, we might have to face a lot of conflict before we can progress. So that's part of our process when we're older. When we're younger, maybe we've sinned less and done other things wrong less, and maybe others have offended us less, and then it might be a lot quicker progress when we're younger. But when we're older, we might be more wise. So in either case, we can still progress and advance very quickly, if that's important to you. Now, in religious texts, Christian, Buddhist, Muslim, Hindu, uh, Jewish, in many of these texts, there might be much or little written. In the Christian and Muslim texts, there's very little written about meditation. In the Buddhist texts, it's largely talking about certain things. We might, and the Buddhists might um, to talk to each other about whether there's instructions for meditation, really. A lot of it is about right thinking, right conduct, right action, right choices kind of stuff. And so what we can do, no matter our religion, is we can think about what is right according to what we believe. So if you're Jewish or if you're Christian or Muslim or Hindu or any religion, Native American, what you decide is no matter if your beliefs are slightly different than someone else's, we decide what is right conduct? How should we behave ourselves? How should we be kind? How do we talk to others? Is it kind? Is it honest? Do we love them? Are we peaceful and nonviolent? If they're, if they're angry, is it better for us to speak to them or to walk away? How do we deal with conflict? We don't have to make all those choices today, but if we do, we do progress with meditation. So a big part of meditation um, might be what we do later, thinking about right conduct, right thinking, and right choices. When our thinking gets better, we might think about things like conflict. How do we face conflict? We might do it with kindness, honesty, humor, wisdom, the wisdom that we have peacefulness. Some people like to be quiet when there's conflict. We can all face it differently. And so we try to think of what's right. What about thinking? What's right? And we, when we make these choices, then throughout our day, today, tomorrow, when we're not meditating, if we do right thinking and right conduct, right behavior, you might say, and I don't mean it for kids. I mean, just like, what do we do with our hands and our feet and our words kind of stuff as an adult, as a man, as a woman, as a woman, as a man. Then when we meditate again, then it might be much more peaceful and we might, it might be much more pleasant. And I'm going to get to what happens after that right now. So once we got to that point, we got the Buddhist stuff rolled in, a little bit of what's right. 
And we just think about what's right. So if you're a Christian or a Jew, you might say, well, what's right according to God? And then you might say that we love our neighbor, that we're honest, we never tell lies. We try not to lie, things like that, you might say. And so we might, with those religions, we might talk about those things. In, in the Muslim religion, we might talk about what Allah said in the Holy Quran. And so we think about what's right according to what we know. And then we start to do a little bit of it, maybe a lot. And then when we meditate, it's much more peaceful. So here's what's next. When, we're, when we meditate, if we think very peaceful thoughts, and what I mean is how we conduct ourselves, we might suddenly spring forward with very quick advancements and progression in our meditation in ways that are so profound and amazing that we suddenly feel wise in five minutes. So we might think, if we see a man or a woman, they're one of God's children. So no, whether we're male or female, that is not our husband, that is not our wife, they're more like a brother or a sister. So we never touch them sexually, we never say anything offensive, we never hurt them, we don't even touch them at all. Occasionally we might shake their hand or pat them on the shoulder or something, but just in general, let's just think about never touching anyone. If we never touch anyone, and we think of them as our brother or sister, we might speak to them kindly, we never steal from them. So we think about how we might love them as a brother or as a sister. There's things we don't do, things that I just said, we never touch them, we never lie to them, we never steal from them. But also there's things that we do. We might speak a kind word. We don't have to wait until they're sad. We don't have to comfort them only. We can be kind. We can say, I'm happy to see you and things like that. When we start to think about these simple things, we might spring forward and begin to advance. So if you think of how you can love another man or a woman as a brother or a sister and never touch them, never hurt them, never lie to them, how you can be kind to them, compassionate, honest, peaceful, and nonviolent, if you think about those things, then in meditation, you might suddenly spring forward and progress very quickly in your meditation and advance, and then you might suddenly feel wise, even in five minutes. And the reason I say that is, it might hold us back if we're a cruel person. If we're cruel, if, we, if, we, if you enjoy hurting people, then if you enjoy being cruel, you might, it might be that you never progress in meditation. Cruelty has to go away mostly or completely in order for you to progress. Now it's true you could progress if you learn skill in meditation. That might take time and effort and you could probably do it. But if you're not cruel, you might advance quickly. Now what's next? What are the actual meditation techniques and methods? Now that we know we're doing this a way that is never a sin and it's never wrong. Well, when God told me to go to another world and uh, to grow in knowledge and wisdom through experience, and I did this again and again over four lifetimes, you might say, four worlds. What I did is I, I eventually did all that I knew to, a lot of it, not all of it. And I was trying to do it really quickly. And then a, a woman said something that was very helpful to me. And it sounds like she did it, something wrong, but she didn't. I asked her, I said, has anyone here made the, the, like the most advanced um, accomplishments? And she said, no, no one has. We think it's impossible. We were trying it for a long time. And uh, we, we haven't succeeded. Uh, we don't think it's possible. We're in contact with some other men from another world that have done it, but they don't. we don't know if it's possible to do it. So to me, it was really interesting. I thought, you know, if it's not possible, I, I don't want to keep doing this for the rest of my life, just kind of guessing. So I'm going to make one really big effort, and I, I figured out a way. What I decided was, I'm going to do everything that's available in meditation. All of it. And then if, if it's not, if there's nothing 
possible after that, then I then I'll agree with her. I thought this is really interesting that she said this to me. It's a really she really considered a lot of of history of men and women on that world. And I think there were a number of them that had come very close, including her. And I thought, and if, since she said that, she might have had more more success. But I haven't talked to her since then, so I, I don't know what happened. That was more than forty years ago. Curiously. And so what I did is I sat down and I meditated. I thought, what's going to happen next? I sat down, it's a normal cross-leg position, nothing fancy, not full lotus or anything like that. And I noticed a bunch of things right away. I, I had some um, personal issues with other people, some stray thoughts and stuff. And I just paid attention to everything and I started to figure out, how can I deal with these things? I can't make them go away. I've tried all of that. I, so I paid attention and I realized I, I have conflict and uh, there's other spiritual things I haven't done. So I did everything possible. I started to play whack-a-mole. Every single detail, I dealt with it one at a time to do everything possible, every detail. And I did this until every detail was done, everything. And it was like sitting in an empty room after that. Like you might say in my meditation space or my mind space. And then I found the highest accomplishment. And then I made it um, there. And then God took me to the, the fourth and final world where there were other men who had done that. And then um, we did other kinds of work, including spiritual things. And so what I found is there's spiritual enlightenment and three levels beyond. And that's not discouraging. It's not overly difficult or overly far. It can be done in a lifetime. But I think one of the reasons why we have difficulty with this is because we have conflict every day in our lives. We do things wrong and other people do things wrong. And if we stop doing things wrong, or if we go away from everyone else and we just think, what's right? What's good? What do I like? We start to realize a lot about ourselves, and that conflict just kind of goes away over time. Imagine going on vacation and never coming back, but being alone. You realize that might work, but it might take too long. So how can we do it? We start to deal with the conflict by being peaceful and kind and honest. And it hurts sometimes when we're wrong, but we face it with honesty and then we're, what we do is we just apologize when we're wrong. We say, I'm the one who was wrong. This is what I did. This is what I should have done. And I'm sorry. Please forgive me. And if you do that, you've pretty much done everything you can do to apologize. And then if you owe them money or something, you do what you can to make it right. And then pretty soon you don't have those debts. And then you have a lot more peace. If we owe someone something, we don't have very much peace. It's a, it's a constant burden in meditation. And, we, and if we deal with everything else, but our debt, then that's what we're aware of the whole time. So we start to pay off all of our debts. Things like credit cards and stuff like that get a little tricky, but it's really, if we have a neighbor that we stole from, that we hurt, we might pay them the debt that we owe them. And then we start to do that, we start to have a lot more peace. And then it's not, you might say, holding us back in our meditation. That's more of an earth saying. So once we do all of this, the, the metaphysics of meditation start to happen automatically. We don't have to make them happen. So in the Hindu school of thought, they learn, I think, are, what are very advanced techniques. But it doesn't seem to work that well if you owe a debt, if you're cruel, if you're a murderer, if you're a rapist. Those things don't seem to really work that well. And also, if we need to apologize and forgive, and if we need to repent of our sin. That might be the most paramount thing. So what I would do is just do any prayer. and. 
a prayer where you repent of your sin and say, God, I know you alone are God. If you're um, a Muslim, Allah, I know you alone are God. You are the one true God. In uh, Islam, Allah means like the one God or the one true God, something like that. And so any religion, we talked, we pray to God. In Hinduism, you might say Brahman. I know that you are the one true God. True God. There is only one God and I call you Brahman. So you might, talk, you might just acknowledge he is God. He made spiritual meditation. And then you also admit, if you've sinned, I have sinned. And I did the wrong thing. And God, I was wrong. You were right. So we start off honestly facing everything, our sin and everything. And then our meditation might just spring forward really quickly. If we don't repent of our sin, you might feel that in your heart the whole time you're trying to meditate. And so we deal with our debts, our sin, apologizing, forgiving, that kind of stuff. Making it right if we owe someone a debt, you might say. If we did something wrong, we might try to make it right until we have peace. Now, when you die, you might later want to meet that man or woman if you've wronged them and try to make it right by talking to them. While you're in the earth, you might want to give them material objects, material goods, money or something. But if, they, if you and them both die, you guys don't have any money anymore. So you might talk to them to try to make it right and apologize. So if, if you've been born, so if you live your whole life, die, and then you're born again, you might feel like a lot of your debt is, you know, gone. So anyway, I'm going to go back to the meditation techniques now. So what we do is we pay attention to what we have. In every life, what you have is your hands and your feet, arms and legs, your belly and your chest, your neck and your head. You have your body. And in your flesh, you have blood in your heart and things like that. But it's really difficult to pay attention to those things. We just pay attention to what we know. So we pay attention to our, our flesh. And then one day after you've advanced to spiritual enlightenment or beyond, then if you do this, then you might also pay attention to your spirit or your soul more. So what ends up happening is a whole series of events that you might call mystical events, but these things are not really, they're not bad or wrong or a sin. You're not in control of them. Um, you're, what happens is when you have no more bare, this is how I think of it. This is like a way of thinking about it. I wouldn't call it um, a perfect teaching, but it's, it's very helpful. You have no more barrier preventing you from success. And what you start to realize is as a spiritual being and as a, you're, you have a body of flesh, you breathe air but your spirit has prana. And so prana or spiritual energy starts to come into your body. Now this is important no matter your religion. And the reason is prana is something that God made and I think it's everywhere. Everywhere in the universe is um, I found it no matter where I've searched. And prana is really important for spiritual things. So the, the Bible talks about a spiritual war. I think some Hindu texts might reference it. But I don't think it's really talked about in detail anywhere. And so when we do things in the spiritual war, which is the thing that happens every day now, it's new, then we use spiritual energy to do spiritual things to fight in the spiritual war. And then we might need to fill up our tank of energy to do it again. It's going to sound weird. But we might, in the spiritual war, learn to oppose people that do spiritual evil by doing spiritual things. It's invisible, you can't see it, but when you become very spiritually advanced or when you're in heaven, God might one day talk to you about going with the spirits of truth, those are men and women that are ghosts, and then facing the... 
Spiritual war. And so it's, it's nothing um, strange. Think about it when you, when you work hard all day. At the end of the day, you eat food. And it fills your tank. You get some rest. You feel like you're refreshed. When we meditate, we might feel refreshed. And then later when we advance, spiritual energy starts to come into our body. And uh, we call it prana. And, uh, and it's like it fills your tank. So when we do spiritual things, it be, it's important. Just think about it filling your tank. You, in the other schools of thought, they teach that you do this through effort. And maybe you can. But... Um, and I did when I meditated uh, more than once. But once you've become a very peaceful person, at times it comes in automatically. So the first thing I do uh, when I meditate is I would pray. And then the second thing I would do when I meditate is I would see if I'm peaceful and if I have any intrinsic conflict in my spirit. Now, most of us, um, when we do this... Um, we might find a little bit of conflict we don't want to face. So I'm not going to talk about any of that. But once you do those two things, then the, the prana starts to flow into your body automatically. And then the other metaphysical or mystical experiences start to happen automatically. We don't have to try to um, cause them to happen. They start to happen automatically when we're perfectly peaceful, I think. I think I think all of them happen automatically. So I want to talk to you a little bit about what they're like from someone who's done all of them. The first one that comes in is the... the the spiritual energy flows into your feet and up your legs. And what it does is it's purifying your flesh, what they say in, in the Hindu school of thought. And I don't want to contradict that. I don't say that's wrong. I have a bunch of different ways of saying it. But what does happen is it just, it just prepares you for this event. So the next time it happens, it's a little bit, um, it flows a little bit, you might say better or differently or easier. And so it starts to flow into the feet. And this might go on for days. Um, if you become very peaceful and do all that I said, it starts to flow into the feet and then the legs, and then it, it starts to flow in easier and easier and easier and easier and easier. And then what tends to happen is, um, it flows all the way up to the belly area. Now that's as far as it goes until you do some other events. Later you have spiritual energy in your heart, your hands, your arms and things like that. But this is how I remember experiencing it. So I'm going to tell it this way. It'll be way more fun. You'll love it. And so it flows up into there and then it starts to build up in the belly for a big event. So we have all this spiritual energy called prana flowing into our body. It comes in for a big spiritual event and that spiritual event in the earth is called kundalini. Now I'm going to talk about the devil, kundalini, and also some other stuff in a moment uh, and it'll all be really clear. So in order for kundalini to happen, we need spiritual energy. And I'll tell you, um, the devil has nothing to do with this. I want you to think about this. There's snakes on the ground, but that's not the devil. There's poisonous serpents. There's water serpents. There's you know, snakes. But they're not the devil. And Kundalini isn't a snake at all. It isn't. They, they say it's a snake, but it actually has nothing to do with a snake. The reason they call it a snake actually makes no sense. A snake has a tapered tail on one end and a mouth on the other end, but Kundalini has nothing to do with this. So when we do spiritual meditation and then Kundalini happens, it's actually just an, a really cool event uh, that does, has an important function. When it goes up through our torso, it goes hopefully all the way to the top of our head. And then when it does this, what ends up happening is we're prepared now to have spiritual energy in our heart and our arms. And for the next experiences. Now, if you're a Christian, a Muslim, or any other religion, Native American or anyone, you've probably thought about us being beings of light. And you've also probably read about angels and light, or maybe God. You've maybe thought of God and light, whether you call him the great spirit, God, Brahman, 
Allah, the Lord of Israel. No matter what you call him, you might call, he's God, and you might think of light. So what, what this does is it prepares us for some really important events that have to do with energy, our heart, and light. And so just think about spiritual energy rising suddenly through your body. It's not exactly like that, but it's um, something you can think about that's useful until this happens. So when it happens, it's not a violent event. It has nothing to do with the devil. What happens is this energy builds up in our belly. A couple other things happen. And then there's a, a feeling as if our organs might be moving around slightly. Not much. It's like they move over and back. And then suddenly, if you go through this whole experience, um, you feel something coil up inside your body about three times, three and a half times, you might say. And it feels like it's about as big as, a, as your wrist or something like that. And it goes all the way to the top of your head if you have the, this experience. Now, there's more to it than that. It goes up there. It lasts about 30 minutes, typically, if you do the full big experience, you might say. But this whole experience isn't really um, like a, the only milestone. What, it, what it, I would say is that it prepares us for the next events, which are absolutely astounding and amazing. And I'll I'd like to tell you what they are, especially if you're a believer, because this might put to rest a lot of the myths about Kundalini, the devil, and that kind of stuff. Remember, the devil wants to corrupt and co-opt religion. He wants to claim it for himself. Whether you think co-opt, corrupt, infiltrate, just pick the thing that you have heard or thought of, or the thing you believe. And so what happens after this Kundalini experience is this. You, you have the ability to experience bliss in your heart. And bliss is a unique experience. It's kind of like happiness is unique, joy is unique, sadness is unique. A lot of our feelings in life are unique. Humor, laughter, those are unique experiences. And so bliss is another unique experience that we can have. And so we can experience bliss in our heart, but we can also experience something called ecstasy in our head. And it's not like the drug, it's more like an ecstatic experience that's amazing, wise, and profound. And I say wise because when we experience it, we might think of God, not ourselves. The one true God. And so it prepares us where we can experience bliss and ecstasy, and those things kind of mix. And um, the Hindus talk about it in a certain way. They call it Soma and Amrita. But that's just the Hindu words. In American English, we might say bliss and ecstasy. We don't have to learn another language or a doctrine. It's something that we experience that's new. And then what happens is um, we start to have connections from our heart to our hands. So for any religion, no matter what your religion is, this might be important to you. We start to, when we do things with our hands, we might think of what's in our heart and hopefully it's love for our fellow brother or sister with thoughts that are peaceful, nonviolent and kind. We start to think about our heart. And when we think about our heart and this connection to our hands, it's just like, it's, it's something that I think um, it's really simple to describe and explain. But if I say it, it might take away a lot of the mystery. So I got, I got a conflict. If I, if I don't say it, you might accuse me of blasphemy or heresy or sin or being an infidel. If I do say it, you might think it's mundane and boring. So I got a bit of a thing. So what you feel like, I'll tell you a little bit. You feel like something grows from your heart to your hands. Think about love growing through your arms to your hands. And not some sort of wimpy, pathetic, loser love, but real love for your fellow man. Whatever love is in your heart, that's the love that might be extended to your hands. And then you start to have the same spiritual experiences in your arms. Energy might flow into your body. It might flow into your heart. 
it might flow into your belly, your arms, and then the kundalini doesn't ever need to happen again, as far as I know, never. It's a one-time event, and then you might have more spiritual energy, and that prepares you for the next four big events, they say in Hinduism. And it doesn't matter how we count them, but the once this happens, your legs have now been prepared somewhat, now your whole body's prepared somewhat, and you start to have experiences of peace, bliss, ecstasy, which is just another experience that you might describe as being like bliss or like, um, it's from the head. <coughs> so it's not the same as love from the heart. It's just different. It's a unique experience. And then also light inside of your body. And we would call it spiritual light. It's not typically visible in anyone's eyes ever. So we might think if someone describes it, we might be disappointed because we're expecting to see it with our eyes. But and someday that might happen. God might make it so these things happen in the future. To us, there'd be no surprise if angels could show light and then we might think of God. We might see an angel and see light and those experiences might happen. We might see God and light. We might think of him. We might see the sun and think of him. And we also might think of him when we meditate. And then once we have all of this happening in our heart, our belly, our arms and our legs and our head, that's pretty much our whole body now. And then we have experiences of light. And then it all I say, this is my way of thinking about it, comes back to the beginning. Have we dealt with all of the conflict? In order to get to the last step, spiritual enlightenment, we need to have peaceful, nonviolent, spiritual experiences, you might say. If we have any conflict, if we don't have peace with everyone, I think we can't be spiritually enlightened. And that's how it ends. Once you have perfect peace with everyone, then you have a profound experience and you might see God. You might get a glimpse of him in the corner of your eye. You might just see light and then you can be spiritually enlightened. You might see nothing. Now, here's what I think about it now after all of the mystical experiences. For everyone that made it to the end, you get the cool stuff. I think if we have perfect peace with everyone, it might be that we can become spiritually enlightened instantly from here to enlightenment instantly. And then we're meditating for everything beyond. And those, that's another three things that I'm, un, I'm aware of, that I know of. And again, it's about paying attention. It's about attentiveness. It's about peaceful sitting, resting in peace and wisdom, I say. And so if, you, if you're the kind of person that likes to rest in peace and wisdom, that likes joy, nonviolence, then it just makes sense that we do meditation this way. Now that's that's one side of meditation, spiritual enlightenment. Now this and that's the end of the podcast. But for everyone that wants to hear a little bit more about spiritual things, I'm going to throw in some bonus content right now. When we do spiritual meditation, I'm going to one day in the earth write a book called The Book of Meditation, and it's going to have every possible thing in it that you can ever do with meditation in your lifetime. At least everything that's cool but I'm not gonna give it to the whole world. One of the reasons is a bunch of fake gurus will run around with my book and they'll pretend they invented it. They'll pretend it was their idea. They'll pretend that they're the one who taught Dale. I'm the one doing the podcast, my name's Dale. They'll pretend they're the one who taught me, Dale, how to do it. They'll pretend to have better knowledge. And the fake gurus are almost always sexual perverts that wanna touch your daughter. And so I don't want them to run around with my knowledge. But the other reason I don't want them to do it is there are evil men in the earth. And when they learn from my book 
they might learn to do evil things, such as witchcraft, invisible things that can hurt us. And I don't want them to have access to that knowledge. So one day when I write it, I'll put it available to certain men. And all you got to do is go through a basic check system. But in this podcast, I'll tell you what some of those things are. One of those things is this. When we do spiritual meditation a certain way, we might become more virtuous and more righteous. A man can become righteous by meditating. And so in the, in the Bible, it says, Jesus said, there's none righteous, no, not one. But when we learn what righteousness is and choose to do things that are righteous, we can choose righteousness, I say. And we can do that at times in meditation. And then it's up to us for our, in, a, for in our life to do those things. Now, we've chosen to do them in meditation. We were just sitting there. We chose it. And then it's up to us in our life to do righteous things. And then you might know a secret. Jesus said the righteous will inherit life eternal or go into life eternal, everlasting life, you might say. And so we need to become righteous. And you can. And we all know it's possible. And so when you think about what's right and good to do, what's righteous, you can in meditation become righteous. And one day I'll put that in a book called the book of meditation, how to become good, how to become virtuous, how to become righteous. And this has to do with making choices, but then it's for us to also do those things according to our choices. And then we might be doing righteous things, speaking righteous words, doing good and doing virtuous things speaking virtuous words and speaking good words. And if we do all of that, you're pretty much guaranteed to be a shoe-in in the kingdom of heaven on earth when God makes a new earth. You're pretty much guaranteed to get everlasting life. But it's up to you to repent of your sins, choose to be righteous, and then you might be on another list. All of those that have learned to be righteous, good, and virtuous. Honest, nonviolent, compassionate, and kind. And if you do all of those things, you might also become spiritually enlightened. In addition, we can do many spiritual things that are really important. One of them is to be aware of our spirit and our soul. So for everyone who becomes spiritually advanced, you can learn to make and do spiritual things. You can make spiritual objects like a shield to use in a spiritual war to protect yourself. Or you can learn to leave your body without doing Robert Bruce's astral projection techniques. In fact, God could do it for you right now. But then if you leave your body, are you going to go around invisible to everyone else, harassing everyone in the world? Because if you do that, I will be offended. And I think you're doing that which is wrong in God's eyes. So if you choose to do righteous and good things only, but to never do evil, then you might be given this power from God and you might fight in the spiritual war as a warrior. Right now, there are many who are evil that try to do this. Which would you choose, good or evil? And if you choose to do all of this, then I would say we grow in knowledge and wisdom and there's different ways we do it through the word of God and through meditation, through experience and stuff. But I put this all in the book and we do all of, we do those things for the perfection of our soul for all eternity. 
And then we can become perfect as it is written, where Jesus said, be ye perfect, even as your Father, which is in heaven, also is perfect. So in meditation, we can become perfect and we can grow in knowledge and wisdom in our life for the cause of perfection of our soul. So I put that in the book, how to fight in the spiritual war, how to become righteous, how to become good, how to become virtuous, how to become perfect. And that's knowledge for those that choose that as a devotion in their life. We devote our time and our effort to that. You can say dedicated, but typically when I think of work, I think of dedication. With spiritual things, I think of devotion. We pray and we meditate, devotion. That's probably enough. So one day there will be a book called The Book of Meditation. I'll write it, it will have my words. I'll teach about the spirit, the soul, how to fight against evil in the war of darkness versus light. The perfection of our soul, becoming good, righteous, virtuous, perfect, and holy. I might write in there how to become spiritually pure. Everything will be in the book. And then in some places, men will be instructed in the book of meditation so that they can succeed at everything, including spiritual enlightenment. In the end times, it's very important that we're instructed in spiritual things because they're unseen to you right now. And if you could see them all, all of the spiritual evil that might surround any man at any time, such as me right now, then your interest in spiritual things might become very, very significant in your life. And even if you only meditate five or 10 minutes per day, you can still make very significant progress. One day, if you read the book of meditation. Uh, one more note uh, here at the end, something I should have uh, said earlier. Um, so when we talk about Kundalini coiling three or three and a half times, uh, it's funny to think about this because it actually coils like a spring. It doesn't coil like a serpent. A serpent falls flat on the ground, kind of like a cow turd when it's coiled up and ready to bite you. But a, uh, the Kundalini doesn't do that. It's not sitting in our body. It's not coiled like a serpent. It kind of coils up like a spring, kind of like a spring inside of a bed, actually. It's like a mattress spring or a box spring, you might say. So it's, it's more like t a tall spring. It never coils up. It just kind of rises up and it ends up in a coil position later. So it has nothing to do with a serpent. I just thought I'd throw that in at the end.